serve Life Church in this manner. Amen. Tonight we are continuing our study on the book of Genesis, and we're drawing to a close. Uh, we'll have one more session after tonight in the book of Genesis. Uh, but um, our desire is to help the people of God have a greater understanding of the foundation of the Word of God. And if the Bible is a tree, then Genesis chapter 1 through 11 is the root system of the tree. And Genesis chapter 12 through 50 is the trunk of the tree. And then the rest of the Bible are the various branches. Everything traces back through the doctrinal foundation of uh, Genesis. So we want to encourage you to listen closely and pay attention and learn something tonight uh, about the foundation of your faith in the Word of God. There are two verses of Scripture that I want to read as we launch into our time of study tonight. The first one is in Hebrews chapter 11, as uh, each uh, night that we've studied uh, from the book of Genesis, we've started in, in the book of Hebrews because Hebrews uh, highlights the faith of the founders of our faith, the patriarchs, and then Romans chapter 4 and verse number 16. And uh, we will announce this more at length later, but we're very excited about this weekend. Uh, Saturday is going to be a great time uh, with the uh, Healthy Kids Day uh, and the park besides the YMCA. And we're glad to be a part of that. And then on Sunday... Uh, over at Library Park at 1 o'clock, we're anticipating a great time of uh, good singing uh, and uh, good fellowship and a great time as we reach out to our community. Amen. Anybody excited besides me about that? Amen. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. Abraham did what God asked him, even though he didn't know where he was going necessarily. Verse 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him, or with him, of the same promise. Verse 10, for he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was interested in where God wanted him to go. You skip forward to verse 17 in the same chapter. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Romans chapter 4, verse number 16. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 16 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham is the father of all those who believe. He is the father of those that have faith. 
So if you're here today standing on faith in God, then Abraham is where all of that started. And it's interesting, this great figure that we read about in Genesis chapter 12 through 25 is the founder of Judaism, this great world religion. He is also considered the founder of Christianity, also considered the founder of Islam. All of these three great world religions trace their origins back to this biblical figure that we're going to study the life of tonight. And that is the story of Abraham. We're going to do cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Genesis chapter 12 through 25. And we're going to study the father of the faithful. God bless you. And uh, you may be seated. Just to give you a real quick overview of the life of Abraham that we read in the book of Genesis, it starts in Genesis chapter 12 with God calling Abraham and Abraham's response. Also in Genesis chapter 12, once Abraham finally gets to the promised land, a famine strikes and he takes a journey to Egypt. He comes back from Egypt to the promised land, and in chapter 13, Abraham and his nephew Lot finally separate. In Genesis chapter 14, we read about the first war that's mentioned in the Bible that Abraham participates in to liberate his nephew Lot. We also read in chapter 14 about this mysterious figure called Melchizedek. In chapter number 16, we read about Abraham and Sarah, his wife's handmaiden, Hagar, and how Abraham and Hagar had a son named Ishmael. Chapter 17 is Abraham, who has not been able to have a child with his wife, Sarah, is now 99 years of age, and God fulfills the promise at age 99. In chapter 18 of Genesis, we read about the angelic visitation prior to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in chapter 19, we read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction and Lot's salvation by the angels. Chapter 20, Abraham's been living for God for a long time, but he's still not perfect because in chapter 20, he dishonors his wife by tricking the king Abimelech into believing that his wife is his sister. And it shows even... Those of us that have been serving God for a while still make errors in judgment. Amen. And then in chapter number 21, we read about the promised child Isaac being born and the ensuing conflict in the household of Abraham between Isaac and Ishmael. And finally, in chapter number 22, we read about the event at Mount Moriah where God asked Abraham to offer his only son, As a burnt offering. And there. The top of Mount Moriah. Abraham proved his dedication. And his trust in God. By following through with God's command. And at which time God halted Abraham. And provided a substitutionary ram. Stuck in the thicket. Which is a type of Jesus Christ. Dying on the cross for our sins. Amen. So this is just an overview. Of kind of uh, chapters 12 through 22. And a shift happens. As you're reading the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11, we're moving pretty fast, right? Covering lots of history in a short amount of time. 
And we're also focusing on the entire race of humanity, the entire species called man. But then at verse 12, everything screeches to a halt. Chapters 1 through 11 cover 2,000 years. Chapters 12 all the way through the end of Genesis in uh, chapter 50 covers only uh, 400 years. And so <clears throat> what has happened is that the, uh, the focus in Genesis 1 through 11 is on all of humanity. But it's just laying the foundation. And uh, Genesis being divided into two books would be chapters 1 through 11. And then when God turns his focus to this one man, Abraham, and his family, which becomes the Jewish people or the Hebrew people, this is the second half or the, the, the second beginning, if you would, in the book of Genesis. So we start, really, if you think about it, Genesis chapter 12 is the third beginning because the first beginning is in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. God created and formed Adam from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the first beginning. What's the second beginning? The second beginning is when Noah and his family come down off the ark and everything has been purged and cleansed. So when God scatters the nations in chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel because of their insolence against God, then he begins this third beginning. It's like a restart. God's first start is with Adam. God's second start is with Noah. Adam fell. Noah's uh, a family turned towards idolatry, uh, by extension, his future generations. And so God started a third time by focusing on one man whose name was Abraham. Abraham, as we read earlier, he is the father of all them that believe. The first verse in chapter 12, what does God say to Abraham? Chapter 12, verse 1, what does God say? Oh, nobody has your Bibles. He tells him to get out, right? Get out of your homeland. Somebody read verse 1 for me if you can find Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Go out of your land your father's house, your relatives, to the land that I will show you. Now, there's no promise there that God was going to give him this land as of yet. But he said, get out to the land that I'm going to show you. And this same uh, passage of verse, uh, the passage of Scripture, appears in Acts chapter 7 as Stephen is explaining the story of Jesus. It says, and he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charon and said unto him, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. So Abraham was living in a place called the Ur of the Chaldees with his family in Mesopotamia. It was near the Persian Gulf in modern-day Iraq. This is where Abraham was from. And uh, this was shortly after the story in Genesis 11 of the Tower of Babel. God appears to this man named Abram and says, Come out from your family. Come out from your land. Come out from everything that's familiar to, to you to a land that I will show you of. 
Now, one thing that we learn quickly about Abram is that his family were worshipers of idols, carved or out of wood or stone, these representations of gods. Joshua chapter 24, verse 2 enforces this. Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So we know this, that Abram's family, his father, his uncle, were worshipers of idols. Verse 3, And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. So at this point in history where we shift between chapter 11 and chapter 12 of Genesis, God abandons his focus on all of humanity and singles out a single man. What had happened? Why did this happen? After the second birth in the flood, God sent Noah out to replenish the earth. But man, in the generations after Noah, decided they wanted to make a name for themselves. And they gathered together in a great city called Babel. That's where they built these towers as an affront to God. And this is also where idolatry came into prevalence. Romans chapter number 1 says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God turned them over. And, and, and the Bible in, in Romans chapter 1, it says, rather than worshiping the creator, they worshiped the creature. And, uh, and uh, began to worship representations of animals and four-footed beasts and all of these things. This is a picture of the decline of man. As they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God turned them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. In Romans chapter 1, we see the digression of humanity into idolatry. And this is what happened to the world after the flood. They fell into the worship of false gods and graven images and idols instead of the one true God. So God said, I'm going to call one and reveal myself. The Bible says he appeared to Abraham. And God, as he appeared to him, he called Abraham to leave Ur. And this, leaving everything that was familiar, it's not like us leaving L.A. and moving to, uh, uh, moving to San Francisco. But this was going to a land where there was no familiarity. It required absolute confidence and obedience to go into the unknown. And when God calls us, he doesn't call us just to step into the familiar but the call of God is always for us to step into an area that we are unfamiliar with. Walking with God and following Jesus is going to lead us into unfamiliar territory, right? But we learned in our life group this week that you, nothing good comes from a comfort zone. That you've got to get out of your comfort zone to discover anything good. And God spoke to Abraham said, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone I know in Ur, you know exactly where all the McDonald's are, and you can give directions to any place in town, and uh, you know where all of your friends live, you know the safe havens that you can run to when you need to, but I want you to leave everything that's familiar, your family, your home, your kin, and follow me, and I'll lead you to a land that I'm going to show you. 
And the one thing I want you to know from the very beginning is when God called Abraham, the first thing that had to happen was separation. Everybody say separation. It was separation from the ties of the natural man. And if your citizenship is in heaven, when God calls you, it's going to require separation as well. Abraham is illustrating here for us the calling of those who are members of the church, that God calls us out. Did you know what? That's what the word church means. The word church means those that are called out. And just as Abraham was called out of the familiar, the Ur of the Chaldees, those that are going to be followers of Jesus Christ are called out of this world and its values and its system. That's why the word church, the Greek word ekklesia, doesn't mean building with a steeple. It means the called out ones. Uh-huh. This building is not the church, but the people that have abandoned the familiar familiarity of this world and decided to follow Jesus. That's the church. All right. This is the church. And Abram's call shows us the starting point for a life of faith. The first requirement is separation from the world and our natural place in it. And notice, when God called Abraham and told him to leave, as you study chapter number 12, you discover that Abraham's response was not very quick and not very thorough. Because God had given him three commands. He said, leave your country, separate from your kindred, and go to a land that I will promise you. The problem is he told him to do three things and he only did one thing. What did he do? The one thing he did was left his country. But, but he did not separate from his family and he didn't go all the way to the land that God had promised him. That's the two problems. First of all, he took family members with him. He took his father, Terah, who was an idol maker, and he took his nephew, Lot, whose father had passed away. And perhaps then Abraham was a father figure to him. And if you, what's interesting, when you look in the Bible, names have significance, right? Right? So what does Terah, his father, what does the word Terah mean? What does the name Terah mean? It means delay. So Terah, going with Abraham, delayed God's promise in Abraham's life. And as you read chapter 12, you realize that they left Ur with Terah and with Lot, but they didn't go all the way to Canaan. If you look at a map, you see, well, there's Iraq and there's Israel. That's Canaan's land. Canaan's land is Israel. Iraq is the Ur of the Chaldees. So where is Haran, or as uh, sometimes in Scripture it's called Charon? Where is it? It's about halfway. It's about halfway to where God wanted Abraham or called Abraham to go. And they spent five years. They wasted five years because he was with Terah, whose name means delay. And he waited in Haran. And what does Haran mean? Haran means parched, a dry place. So he was stuck for five years in a dry place in a delay because he did not completely obey what God had called him to do. God said, come out from your family, come out from your land and go to the land that I will show you. And notice when God gave him a command, 
He did not accompany it with reasons. He didn't say, because there's lots of idols there, and I want to get you out of that idolatry, and I want to purge your mind from all of that mentality of, of Ur of the Chaldees. And by the way, Saddam Hussein's coming later, so we need to get you out of there. He didn't give the reasons, right? But what he does give is promise. Commandment, promise, right? Commandment, promise. In verse 2, he said, I will make of thee a great nation, if you do what I say. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed because Abraham was entering into covenant with God. And we don't have time tonight to really exhaust the, the, the principle or the idea of covenant, which is a powerful principle in this story. Uh, which we uh, focus on heavily when we go through search for truth. But, uh, uh, but God did call Abraham into covenant. He said, do this, and this is the promise associated with it, right? And when God calls us, maybe we don't even understand the reasons at first. But he says, if you follow me, if you step out of the familiar into the unknown, as I direct you, then promises will come into your life. Notice. That when God called Abraham, said, I'm going to make you a great nation. In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Uh, When he said that, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren already. He knew he couldn't have a baby. So at 75 years of age, he receives this call from God. And the call is, I'm going to give you children. I'm going to make you a great nation. So Abraham has to decide, do I want to stay in the familiar where I'm not sure whether my wife will have a child or not? Or do I step out into the unfamiliar where there is a promise in the unfamiliar, praise God, that I will be blessed with children? He realized, amen, I can stay in my comfort zone if I want to, but the promise is in the unfamiliar. The promise is in following the command of the Lord. So Abram departed, amen, when God gave him the promise. And when Terah, his father, finally died... Then Abraham was able to make the move to Canaan. And, of course, death finally separated Abram, just like the cross separated us from our sin, just like true repentance separates us from our sin. In chapter 12, verse 7, the Bible says that Abraham, or Abram at this point, builds an altar. In Haran, he never built an altar. In Ur, in Mesopotamia, he never built an altar. Not until there is real separation from the world can there be fellowship with God. It's not until he separated that God, that finally he was able to experience this true fellowship and communion with God that was represented by the altar. Amen. So first, there is obedience of faith. Then comes communion and worship with god amen we take that step and then what follows is fellowship and relationship with god so abraham leaves the ur of the chaldees goes to haran with his father terah and lot terah finally passes then abraham finishes the journey and ends up in canaan so he's everything's good he did what god told him to do then all of a sudden guess what happens famine comes No rain, no food. Big problems. So Abraham decided to leave the promised land and travel south into Egypt. I wish I had a big world map here you could see. 
all of this visually, from Israel to Egypt. He traveled south because of the famine, verse 10 says, was why he'd made this trip. This is the first mention of Egypt in the Bible. All right, Egypt appears many times in, in follow-up scriptures, but this is the very first mention of Egypt. It's very important to pick up symbolism in scripture. What does Egypt symbolize? Egypt symbolizes an alliance with the world or relying on the arm of the flesh. Whenever it said, let's go rent armies from Egypt, what did that mean? Rather than trusting God to fight our battles, let's rely on Egypt. And so Egypt is a type of reliance on the world. Abraham, rather than crying out to God and saying, God, what do I do here? I'm in the promised land, but there's a famine, and I need your direction. He decided to rely on the arm of the flesh, which is what Egypt represented, and he took a trip to Egypt. Can you believe that their famine came in the land of promise? Can I share with you people that sometimes you go through dry spells even when you're in the will of God? Are, are, are you with me now? Sometimes you go through dry spells even when you're in relationship with God. And God sent a trial of Abram's faith. The famine came, and instead of counseling with God, he went and trusted Egypt. And when he got to Egypt, guess what? That's where he sinned greatly by not honoring his wife the first time, saying he was, she was his sister, hoping that maybe they wouldn't kill him for his wife. And in reality, he made his beloved wife vulnerable to the approaches of other men. Abram's journey in Egypt was wasted time. Everybody say wasted time. Wasted time. Wasted time. Amen. But the thing is, is when God calls us, we have to put our confidence in him. Separate ourselves from the world and learn to depend on him, even when we go through a famine. Because whenever you are in the promised land, when you are made that step to follow the Lord, you've done what he told you to do, and then you go through a tough time, there's going to be that temptation. Well, let's just head to Egypt then. This ain't no fun. Let's head to Egypt. I'm not as excited as I used to be. Let's head to Egypt. I'm struggling with temptation. Let's head to Egypt. I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, and i got problems in my marriage. We might as well go to Egypt. We might as well head back to where to, to, uh, 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 to trust the arm of the flesh or, or, or to this world. And uh, there's that temptation. But thank God for his grace and mercy that Abram didn't die in Egypt. He went to Egypt, made some mistakes, and brought some baggage back with him. But thank God he got back to the promised land. Amen? Praise the Lord that God is merciful with us. See, because what you're going to start picking up is Abram is the father of the faithful. That means he is the sample believer. And everything about his life teaches us something about our life. Because he was a man of faith and we are people of faith. He was walking by faith, responding to the call of God. We are walking by faith, responding to the call of God. So things that Abraham went through, his vicissitudes, his ups and downs, his failures, his struggles are common to all of us. But the good news is God doesn't give up on us because he didn't give up on Abraham. Even when Abraham sojourned in the land of Egypt. Beware. 
in going down to Egypt because the Bible says that friendship of the world is enmity with God. God's not cool with us heading out to Egypt. In Egypt, think about this. Abraham picked up two things that caused him great problems. What did he pick up in Egypt? He picked up some baggage. First of all, he gained a lot of cattle and riches while he was in Egypt. Secondly, Sarah, his wife, needed some help with her chores, so she bought a slave while she was in Egypt. That slave's name was Hagar. We're going to find out in a minute that Hagar created a lot of problems in Abraham's household. It would have been better had he never picked her up. And even though riches seems like a great thing, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many arrows. And uh, the wealth that Abraham gained in Egypt created strife between him and Lot at a later time. So the thing, the, the, the point with these This baggage, if you would, that he picked up in Egypt, even though God forgave him and God restored him to the promised land, there was residual reaping that had to happen. And this is what a lot of people don't understand about when they come into the house of God. Maybe they've lived a life however they want to live and they come in and the message is true that God has forgiven them of all of their sins, as far as the east is from the west, has been removed from them. And we rejoice in that. But there is a law that's still in effect. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you're going to reap. If you sow wild oats, you're going to reap wild oats. And while God forgives us, and God releases us from the guilt, and we are justified before Him as if we'd never done it, we sometimes still have to sow I'm sorry, reap what we have sown in the past. So don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't think God's mad at you. Just realize, I sowed some things, i got to reap them. Amen. This too shall pass. Praise God. And so, then when uh, Abraham, after his sojourn in Egypt, comes back. Are you okay? We're going kind of fast through this whole story here. He comes back to the promised land, and there... Strife begins to arise between him and his nephew and their herdsmen uh, because they had so much cattle now that they were fighting for the best land to graze their cattle. And when you look at Abraham and his nephew Lot, you see two widely different characters that are juxtaposed to one another. This happens a lot in Scripture. You'll see two individuals, whether it's Cain and Abel or Moses and Aaron or Samuel and Saul, two people whose differences are highlighted by being connected to each other. This is the truth with Abram and Lot. Abram walked by faith. Lot walked by sight. He wanted what looked good. Abram wanted what God told him. Abram was generous while Lot was greedy. And they were both looking for a city. But Abram was looking for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God, whereas Lot was looking for an earthly city. Amen. So Abram was gracious when they got into strife. And in verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes 
and beheld all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, look at this, like the land of Egypt. Hmm. Lot had picked up an affinity for Egypt while he was on the sojourn. And he lifted up his eyes. And Lot journeyed eastward. Uh, Lot chose all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves the one from the other. So here we go. First of all, God called Abraham to separate. But it didn't happen immediately. It was a great gradual separation first of all he got halfway then his father died he finally separates from Terah and then now because of this strife and Lot's choice because of his attraction to what he could see and his attraction to what looked like Egypt finally there was separation that took place notice that Lot lifted up his eyes. He was not walking by faith. They couldn't stay together. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Because Abraham's walking by faith and Lot's walking by sight. Mm, that looks good, right? And so how can you walk together when one's walking by faith and the other is walking by sight? And this decision, this act by Lot started his decline. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. When you see and you want, Eve saw the tree. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the well-watered plains. Achan described his fall. I saw the Babylonian garment and the gold bars. I coveted and I took. So, since the plains of Jordan, which led to Sodom and Gomorrah, was like the land of Egypt, it lets us know, as I mentioned, that he was still attached. Notice Lot's steps, seven steps, real quick. Number one, he lifted up his eyes. Number two, he chose the well-watered plains. Number three, made a big mistake, he separated from Abram. Number four, he dwelt in the cities of the plain. Number five, then he began to pitch his tent towards Sodom. Number six, then he dwelt in Sodom. Notice the progression or the negative progression. And then number seven, he's on the town council in Sodom. He was seated in the gate in chapter 19, verse 1. And here's the deal. When you begin to Go that direction. When you lift up your eyes and begin to follow the lust of your flesh, it will take you further than you ever intended to go because sin is described as a leprosy. It is progressive. Amen. And so there's got to be a time where you stop and say, I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to lift up my eyes and follow the pride of life or the lust of the eye or the lust of the flesh because I know it's going to take me a whole lot further than I ever intended to go. Amen. And then... Uh, we're going to skip forward and then skip back. But in chapters 18 and 19, while Lot is living in Sodom, God makes known his plans to destroy Sodom to the man referred to as his friend. Who was the friend of God? Abraham. The friend of God. And uh, notice this, that God didn't show up and tell Lot, hey, Lot, I'm fitting to destroy this place. It's fitting to get cray-cray up in this house. 
Get out of Sodom. Amen. He didn't say that. He showed up at Abraham's place. And even when the angels appeared at the house of Lot. Notice when they came to Abram's house. Tent. That they came in. They supped with him. They dwelt. They get to Lot's. Lot said, come on in. They're like, no, we'll stay outside. Because there was a difference. Lot was not in fellowship with God because of the decisions and the direction of his life. Let me just put it this way. Lot's heart was in the world. His heart was in the world. You know what Lot was a type of? Lot is an example of those Christians who want the best of both worlds. Amen? And, and they're more occupied with the things of the world than the things of heaven. But they still want to stay connected to the things of heaven. And when you sow to the flesh, you shall reap from the flesh corruption. And when you look at the story of Lot, it's tragic. Because he was attached and connected to the father of the faithful. But instead of reaping blessings in his life, he, re- he reaped tragedy in his life. He ended up losing his wife. She became a pillar of salt. He, he ended up uh, uh, with a, a tragic situation with his daughters, an incestuous situation with his daughters. He ends up hiding out in a cave, and that's the last we hear of Lot because of the decisions that he made. See, direction's important. Can I say that again? Direction is important. Which way are you pointing your family? Are you getting your family closer to God? Or are you moving them closer to this world? See, that's an important, that's a valid question to ask. Are you, are, are your choices drawing your family into fellowship, greater fellowship with God, a greater obedience to God? Or are you being lured? Is your heart being sucked into this present world? It's an important question because people of faith recognize that you can't have the best of both worlds. If you're going to follow Jesus, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Amen. It's almost like uh, when your kids, if you're going to be her friend, I'm not going to be your friend anymore, right? God says if you want to be friends with the world, we can't be friends because God is holy. And the residue of this world cannot rest in fellowship with God. So it's important to make good decisions because it not only affects you, but it affects your family as well. Amen. Notice... Abraham's decision affected his his family and his generations following. Lot's did as well. Amen. Lot lifted up his eyes for worldly interests. But notice that Abram lifted up his eyes as well later. Once Lot separated from Abram, then God said, chapter 13, verse 14, then God said, now Abram, I want you to lift up your eyes. Abram, or Lot lifted up his eyes because of the lust of his flesh. Abram lifted up his eyes because God said, Now, I want you to look around, and everything that you see, I'm going to give to you and your children. All of it, everywhere that your footsteps, uh, it's going to belong to you. It was not, come on, guys, it was not until Abram and Lot finally separated here. Praise God. That God said to Abram, I'm not just showing you this land, but I'm going to give this land to you and to your children. And guess what? Thousands of years later, <laughs> the ancestors, or not the ancestors, what's the opposite of ancestors? 
descendants, gracias, the descendants of Abraham are still living in the land that God promised to father Abraham. That's what I'm talking about, a promise from God that affects generations after generations after generations after generations. God is good to those that are faithful. Amen. I didn't say God's good to them that are perfect because Abram was not perfect. But Abram was a man of faith. Praise the Lord. Lot lifted up his eyes for worldly interests. Abram lifted up his eyes to behold the gift of God. And it was not until Lot left and separated from Abram that Abram was finally fully in the will of God. So the separation was slow and gradual. But when the separation was complete, then he had fulfilled God's request. And it says in verse 18 of Genesis 13, I love this. It says, then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron. Everybody say Hebron. Say Hebron. Say it real loud. Say it real loud so your neighbor will wake up. Say Hebron. Hebron. Do you know what the word Hebron means? Hebron means fellowship. Because now Abraham is in fellowship with God. Disobedience hinders full fellowship with Jehovah. Now because of time, I'm going to skip over uh, the war that we read about. um, And the story of Melchizedek, which was a type of Jesus Christ uh, in, in the Old Testament. And this is where we first see Abraham practicing tithing even before the law. He gave a tenth of everything that God blessed him with to Melchizedek. In Genesis chapter 16, we're going to talk for a minute about about this mistake that Abraham made with Hagar. And I, I, I am watching the clock. So in chapter 15, Abram's a man of faith. Chapter 16, he's a man of unbelief. Did you notice that? He he turned from being a man of faith to a man of unbelief. Abram was tried in his life. And what was the sin of Genesis chapter 16 when Abram noticed that Sarah wasn't having a baby like God had promised? It was the sin of impatience. And he said, I'm going to help God fulfill his promise. Think about that. God's unable to fulfill his promise because Sarah's too old and her body won't produce a baby. So I'm going to help God take care of this. This had been 10 years since the promise. And she was still childless. And rather than wait, we're like Abraham. We try to take matters in our own hands and try to help God with his divine promises. And Abram sinned, listening to Sarah and taking this, this uh, lady that was a bondwoman or a slave and uh, having a child with her. And the sorrow that came from the birth of this child, Ishmael, and the stress that it brought to the household was immeasurable. In fact, it's still stressing the world out today. Do you know that? The unrest in the Middle East. Somebody says, well, our next president will fix it. Or maybe... Barack can fix this. Barack Obama can fix this problem. President Obama. But the problem is this this is not going to be fixed by Obama. This is not something new. This is centuries old. The strife between the Arabic nations and Israel goes all the way back to Ishmael and Isaac. 
And it all is a product of Abram's impatience with God. So what's the lesson for you and me? Just chill, man. If God gave you a promise, you don't have to work it out. He's going to take care of it. No need to stress or worry. You might have to get to the end of yourself. Because as long as you've got self, then you're going to trust self. But when you get to the end of self, then you have to trust God. Somebody said it this way. When you get down to nothing, then God's up to something. Amen. When you have no hope, when there's no way that you can fix it, then God has an opportunity to work on your behalf. So he's like, oh, no, we're running out of time. We're running out of time. We've got to fix this situation. And God knew all along because he's an on-time God. His timing is perfect. Amen. Praise the Lord. So 13 years later, since Abraham had obeyed Sarah and and had a baby with Hagar, now it's 13 years later, and uh, 13 years after the big mistake, Ishmael's now 13, and now God appears to Abraham and Sarah and says, this year, next year, you're going to have a baby. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham's body was as good as dead and sarah's womb was no longer able to produce children that's when god fulfilled his word and gave him a son and as i said the opportunity for god's sovereign work doesn't come until man's extremity is reached can i make a statement now and you can register it in your spirit there is a reason for all of god's delays amen I could say there's also a reason for all of God's Lades, but there, <laughs> there is a reason for all of God's delays. Blame it on him. He's the one that gave me this mind. Thinks this way. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 talks about the fullness of time. The fullness of time. The Lord is coming again. Can I get a witness in this place? The Lord is coming again. And what is the delay? The delay is due to God's long suffering. But in our lives, it's not until we come to the end of ourself that God can put forth his power. God tests our faith to bring us to the end of ourselves. And when we get down to nothing, God's up to something. Amen. That's why I'm not worried about Life Church's next step. I know God's in control of it. Amen? God's got something for us right now. He's got a plan that's going to blow our mind. It's going to be supernatural. It's going to meet our needs going forward as a church. Amen? But it's not going to be because I'm smart, and it's not going to be because we're smart that we figure it all out. It's going to be just like, you know, remember how we got in this building? Anybody remember that? We were over over there across at the uh, at the gymnasium there. Anybody remember those days of set up and tear down? I know Brother Chris does. He still has nightmares about that, I'm sure. Every week, set up, tear down, set up, tear down. Be in a subpar building with, with bad acoustics and, and we were still growing, praise God. Uh, and uh, then the, the city told us, hey, this is switching hands. You thought you had it for two years. Oop. That wrong answer. After 14, 15, 16 months, they said, uh, uh, after December, your rent is increasing four times and you can't keep your materials here anymore. It's going to be an impossible situation. So it's around Thanksgiving time. And we're like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Just a reminder, amen? Because we were down to nothing. We had no options. Uh, and uh, I was driving over to the offices over at the Methodist Church and I 
past this building, and I'm like, you know what? Why don't I just pop in and see if anybody's there? And uh, I popped in, and somebody was there. Who was it? It was the broker that was trying to find somebody to lease space in this building. And uh, we were able to uh, uh, create a situation where we were able to come in. And uh, I remember seeing you guys' faces as you walked in here for the first service. You're like, hey, we moved up from the Motel 6. (laughs) Praise God. But understand, don't get stressed out because when we get down to nothing, God's up to something. He's trying to teach us to trust him rather than trusting ourselves. Uh, Abraham had to learn it. We have to learn it as well. Amen. And finally, in Genesis chapter 21, God's promise was fulfilled when Isaac was born, the child of promise. And Abraham's body and Sarah's womb were dead, but Isaac was born. There's a lot we could say about Isaac if we had more time, but I do want to point out when God called Abram and told him, "Take your son, offer him as a burnt offering on the on the on the uh, mount called Moriah." This was the greatest test of Abraham's faith, and notice it didn't happen at the beginning of his journey. Because I, I kind of feel like that if if this had happened at the beginning of his journey. He, he probably would have failed. But God built, just like you build your muscles up, you don't start by trying to bench press 400 pounds, right? But now you can do it, right? No problem. I'm just playing. 225 maybe, right? Not even half the, ah, come on now. He builds up your strength in your faith. Your faith is a process of growing stronger. And at the end, God said, I'm testing your faith. This is the final test. I want to see if you will take your most precious idol and lay it before. The same one that wouldn't lay aside his father, Terah. And the same one that couldn't part with his nephew, Lot, says, now, I'll take the most precious thing, my promise. Everything my life is wrapped up in, I'm going to lay it at your feet because I trust you, God. And he got to that point through a series of ups and downs in his faith. Because Abram... Abraham is the father of us all. How's he like us? What can we learn from Abraham? He is the sample believer. See, when Abraham started, he was just like us. He was a lost sinner. He didn't know God. He was an idolater. But God appeared to Abram just like God appeared to us. You wouldn't be in this church if God hadn't showed up. Right? You wouldn't be in the faith if God didn't show up. And you're like, what you talking about? He never showed up in my house. You're talking about he showed up? He showed himself to Abraham. The Bible says, no man cometh to God save the Spirit draw him. God's got to show up just like the burning bush that got Moses' attention. God got your attention at a certain point. Uh, and it didn't start because you're a good person or not even because you were raised in church. It started because God showed up because all of us have to have that experience like Moses did at the burning bush and like Abraham did when God showed up. It all starts uh, with that. God shows himself. Praise God. God appeared to him and God revealed himself. And then what, what happened after that? With Abraham and with us. The next step is God called Abraham to separate himself from everything that pertained to his old life. That's what he called us to do, right? Did Abraham obey? A little bit imperfectly. We mentioned he took Terah and Lot with him. How about us? Our response to God's call of separation has been tardy and partial as well. 
It took a while. But thank God he's patient. Amen. Thank God he is patient with us. And then when he got into Canaan, he had a painful experience called the famine. Anybody ever experienced a painful experience once you got in church? He arrived in the promised land. Was his response to ask for God's help? No. He decided to trust himself. Don't we do the same sometimes? We're like Abraham. He's the father of the faithful. We're like him. We turn to the world for help and deliverance in the hour of emergency when we're baby Christians. And uh, he was childless despite the promise. What did he do? Did he patiently wait on God? No, he took matters into his own hands. We do the same thing, don't we? When we're learning to trust God. He's still working on me. Come on, can you say that? I'm a work in progress. God called me. I left my home. I I, I left what was familiar. I'm following him, but I'm making mistakes along the way, and I'm learning, and I'm growing, and I'm becoming a person of faith because my father was the same way, Abraham. Amen. He went through the same process. Genesis chapter number 22, Abraham finally offers up Isaac. Does this apply to us? Does this apply to us? Absolutely. Abraham had finally reached the place where he was willing to give up whatever God asked because he had resigned all to God and was willing to lay the dearest thing at the feet of God. But it took, get this, you miss everything if you don't get this. It took a process for him to get to where his faith was at that point where he was trusting God. Some of you are frustrated with yourself right now. Tonight you're frustrated with your faith. You're like, I've been living for God or I've been going to church. I've been trying to serve God long enough. Why am I still struggling with this? Why am I still struggling with B and C? And my statement to you is just keep working at it. Just keep living for God. Just keep following him. Amen. Just keep trusting him. Don't give up. Don't quit. God's not finished yet. But there's coming a day when God's work is going to be perfected in you so that you can trust him and your faith is fully mature. How you know, Pastor Brown? Because our father did the same thing. The father of the faithful went through the same process. I think it's awesome. He is the hero of the Bible, but we see all his wrinkles and stumbles and failures. A lot of people say that's how you know the Bible's inspired. Because if it was made up, they'd make their heroes look a whole lot better, right? Our heroes in the Bible have a lot of frailties and mistakes and, 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 and lying about who their wife is and putting their wife in peril and trusting God for a while then falling into unbelief and then trusting God for a while and falling into unbelief. Why? Because Abraham was a real dude, right? And Abraham is our father. And we as people of faith go through the same foibles, the same ups and downs and the same trials. But God is perfecting us. Somebody shout amen that God is perfecting us. It's His grace that is bringing the human heart into entire submission to the will of God. That's where we're going. That's where you're going. That's, that's the end result. That's the end of the pathway is complete submission to the will of God. How you know that? Because that's what Jesus showed us. When he said, not my will, but thine be done. He was showing us that in order to really be like our model, Jesus Christ, and like our father, Abraham, we finally have to say, whatever you want, God, not my will, but thine be done. But don't worry if you're not there yet. You're on a journey. God will take you through some ups and downs. There'll be some trials, some ins and outs, some times of faith and times of unbelief. But that's the way your father was. That's the way you're going to be. Don't give up. 
Come on, somebody. Turn to somebody and say, don't give up. Hallelujah. Look at the progress. Four steps. Each step was a surrender of something dear to him. First, separating from his native land. Then give up his nephew Lot. Then abandon his plan for Ishmael. We didn't talk a lot about that, but Abraham had a plan. He had to let that plan go. And fourth, to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. So Abraham's ups and downs, experiences and failures, represent ours as well. But the good news is, God was patient with Abraham. And Abraham ultimately triumphed. And God is patient with us. Praise God. Yeah, his faith wavered. He was a person like us. In him was faith. He was the father of the faithful. But also in him was an evil heart of unbelief. It would show up from time to time. Does that make anybody feel good? It's like, I wish I was a man of faith all the time. But every once in a while, that evil heart of unbelief pops up his head like, like what you call it, the groundhog on the groundhog. I almost said gopher. The groundhog on the groundhog day pops his head up. Right? That evil heart of unbelief works in us. See, look at, look at Abraham. He, in faith, he obeyed God. He left Ur. In unbelief, he disobeyed by bringing his father and nephew. You have faith and an evil heart of unbelief working together. In faith, he left, but unbelief stopped him short. In faith, he entered Canaan, but in unbelief, he sojourned to Egypt. You notice it's a little bit of an up and down thing. It's a little bit of a faith and unbelief thing. Somebody ought to be encouraged by this tonight. It's a little bit of a faith and unbelief back and forth. By faith, he returned to Canaan where he had sojourned out of the will of God. But by unbelief, he took Hagar and tried to create the promise on his own. There are two natures in every believer. God's saints are going to be inconsistent from time to time, right? Right? Israel in faith crossed the Red Sea and get to the other side and starts whining. Where's the food, right? Uh-huh. That's, that's, that's our nature. David in faith faced Goliath. Rah! I'll take him down, man. You watch out. And then he's running from Saul. What about Elijah? He faces down 450 false prophets of Baal. What a man of faith. And it was a challenge to the death, in essence, because the 450 prophets died that day and, and, and uh, were slain by the brook Kidron instead of Elijah. So what a man of courage and faith. And then the next day, he's running away like a scared girl. <laughs> from who? From Jezebel, the queen. Think about this. The Bible's off. What about Peter? He jumps up, man, full of courage. Full of courage, right? He grabs his sword. He said, I'll take on the whole Roman army for you, Jesus. I'm a man of faith. Watch out. Watch out, Malchus. I'll have your ear for dinner. Feel the Mike Tyson spirit on me. <laughs> Peter, so full of ambitions, jumps out on the water, walks on the water. One minute faith, the next minute, there's a maiden around the fire saying, you're one of them. He's like, no, not me. I'm not, I never followed you. I don't know who he is. You, you must be talking about somebody else. You know why? Because God's people are inconsistent from time to time. Our faith goes through ups and downs. But you know what? God's working on us. 
We're going through trials. We're going through difficulties. We're facing tests, uh, but God's working on us. So what, what, what do I do? What do I do? You just keep doing it. You just keep doing the right thing. You keep connected. You stay faithful. You love God because our father Abraham showed us uh, we're going to make mistakes. Uh, we're going to stumble. We're going to have low moments, uh, but I'm just keeping walking. And I realize, amen, I'm, I'm going to take a look back and say, you know what? I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I was. Look at where God's brought me in the last two years. In the next two years, I'll be further, but I have further to go. But one day I'll be able to trust Him completely, and He'll be able to trust me completely. Let's stand and praise the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. God did not abandon or give up on Abraham because of his lack of faith at times. But he dealt gently and patiently with him, disciplining him in the school of experience until finally at Mount Moriah, he was able to display his complete faith and trust in God by doing that which is a picture of Calvary itself. Because Abraham had become like Jesus, willing to surrender all. I want you to find somebody. We're going to pray with one another right now before we leave. Because the devil would discourage us. The devil would discourage us because of our struggles. Because of our moments of lapse of faith. Because of our times of weaknesses. And a sense sometimes that we're not making any progress. But I want to remind you today that Abraham's the father of us all. And he had some shortcomings. He had some stumbles. He had some failures. But God was patient and loving. And we give him thanks for that. Let's praise him right now. And I want you to pray for that person next to you that they would be encouraged. That the devil's efforts to discourage them and to destroy them because of their lapses in faith. Because of their struggles. That the devil's efforts would not prevail. But that God's grace would prevail in their life. In Jesus name. I pray that you would pray a prayer of encouragement in their life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That no weapon formed against God's people will prosper. No discouragement will cause me to walk away from my values from the Word of God. Hallelujah. But I'm walking with them. I'm continuing with them. I may have stumbled. I may have, may have backslid a little bit. I may have uh, uh, gone in the wrong direction for a while. I may have sojourned even in Egypt for a while. Amen. But I'm going back to Canaan. Hallelujah. Because he's still still working on me. He still has a plan for me. He still loves me. His, his work is still being done in my life today in the name of Jesus. That's it. In the name of the Lord. God, we trust you. Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, we trust you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo, hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Hey Amen. I've got we've got an important announcement I'm going to ask Brother Ulysses to share with us real quickly. And before he does, I want I want you just to point up it, now don't do this if you don't feel this. And uh you, you can do this on your own if it feels awkward in front of people. I want you to look up to God right now. And in your own way, I want you to just tell him, I trust you. I don't know why I'm going through it, but I trust you, Lord. 
don't know why this is happening, but but I trust you're, you're still at work in me. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Our God is good, amen.